church. It is a great gift to be able to stand in front of you today as we continue uh, in the study of the book of Psalms. Uh, and I believe uh, I'm not the most experienced guy in the world, but as I've read through Scripture uh, for years now, I believe that the collective of Psalms may be the most beautiful and accurate reflection of the ebb and flows of life in the way of emotion, uh, in the way of navigating mountain peaks and valleys. Uh, would, would most people in the room say, yeah, I've had mountain peaks and valleys in my life? I'm most certain that everybody has been in that scenario in some shape, form, or fashion. As we open up the, the book of Psalms, as, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, is these are simply uh, expressions of what's going on in the heart of the writer or, or the king. Uh, these are, were often put into uh, musical form as songs to be sung, uh, but it was also covering a whole range of emotions. As we go through uh, the Psalms, we can recognize that there are people who were, who were in the pits, uh, they were struggling. They needed help, and so they were crying out to God. We see situations where they were rejoicing to God for His greatness and for His presence as a protector and a provider. Uh, there were also songs, psalms of repentance and penitence, which is where we are going to arrive at today. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 51 today. And many of you may be uh, familiar with this psalm. It is a psalm of King David as it is, as it is noted at the very beginning of the psalm. Uh, many of you may, may or may not know or remember the context uh, by which Psalm 51 is written. And so we're going to navigate that just for a second. Uh, so it'll give us a foundation for which we can build on what it looks like for us to be a people of repentance. Okay, and so if, if you're familiar with the book of 2 Psalms, in chapter 11 and 12, we are uh, going back to when David actually committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so uh, there's three major players, four major players in the story that we're going to be uh, discussing in brief. You've got uh, Bathsheba, David, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and Nathan, the prophet. And so what we have here. Is a, is a desperate situation on, on David's behalf. He's out on his, on his uh, patio one evening, and he looks across, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And his eyes allowed his heart to go somewhere where it shouldn't have been. David said, that girl's pretty. I got to have her. And so what he did is he sent his men over to get Bathsheba and bring her back. And it said that he laid with her, and they conceived a child. Now David caught in the middle of his mess. He put a plan together. He devised a plan to where he would cover his butt. Uh, he essentially called Uriah, her husband, off the front lines. You see, Uriah was one of David's 30 top greatest warriors. And so Uriah was where a man of, of war would be. He was on the front lines. He was out there fighting on behalf of his king and on behalf of his people. And so Uriah was called off of the battlefield into David. And David said, hey, buddy, you've been working really hard. Like, I'm crazy appreciative of all the things that you've been doing on the battlefield. How about you take a little sabbatical? Why don't you take a season, go, go be with your wife, uh, enjoy some time of intimacy with her, and, and relax and rest a little bit, and, with, and, and you can go back out later. It'll be great. It's going to be a wonderful season. Now, David, in his mind, was hoping that the inevitable would happen in the intimacy between a man and a wife, and that uh, when, when, they, uh, when Uriah would come back off the battlefield, say, guess what? We're having a baby. Didn't work that way, because Uriah was a man of great integrity. 
Uriah was a man who was dedicated to what he had been called to by his king. And so Uriah actually laid on the porch, would not go and, and sleep with his wife. And so David said, okay, I got to back up and punt. Um, I'm going to have to put another plan together. Hey, Uriah, um, we're going to put you on the front lines. We're going to put you up where the, the, the battle is the hottest. And so what happens is they do that and Uriah gets killed. David essentially murdered Uriah to cover up the issue that he had. Now David, after he had done this, he called Bathsheba to be his own, uh, brought her into his own household. And so he thought that he had covered over the sin that he had committed and that things were good. Well, sometime after the prophet Nathan comes to David, and uh, David is, is in his court, and Nathan comes in and says, David, i got a story I need to tell you. David said, well, bring it. And so Nathan, Nathan begins to tell him a story of two men. He tells him the story of a rich man who has many lambs, and he tells him the story of a poor man who only has one. Now, the poor man loved the lamb so much, it would crawl up into his lap, it would eat out of his hand, to the point that it even had become like family to this poor man. On the other hand, the rich man had many lambs, and uh, he had a visitor that would come out of town, a traveler who would come in, and, and being a good host would require that he would kill a lamb uh, to be able to fix the lamb on, on his behalf to eat. And so uh, Nathan begins to tell David, you know what happened? This rich guy goes over to the poor guy, takes the poor guy's lamb, kills the poor guy's lamb, and cooks it for his guest. And David said, that ain't right. We got to kill that guy. It isn't right what he has done. And Nathan says, slow your roll, Scooter. It's you. He said, before you get all hot and bothered, recognize, David, that this is you. You were the one who stole that which wasn't yours. And you had the whole kingdom. You had all the possibilities of all these single women who could possibly be yours. But no, you chose one of your greatest warriors who was faithful to you, who had given his everything on behalf of God and country, and you chose his wife. And you've messed up. I would say David messed up in a mighty way. And so today, Psalm 51 allows us to see into the act of repentance and the heavy guilt and burden that David was carrying from the very act of sin that he had carried through with, with Bathsheba. You see, he held it in. He tried to carry that burden. He had devised a plan. He had tried to cover it over in the best way possible, but God would not allow it to be hidden. How many of you, just by a show of hands, like to do laundry? All two of us. Okay. One of the things before my mother's passing, she taught me a life skill that I, that I value to this day is the appreciation of doing laundry. Right? It's something that, that my children, uh, we're, we're, con we're trying to work into uh, them understanding that when a laundry basket is full, it's probably time to put it in the uh, washing machine. Otherwise, if you go to school in your pajamas, that's your fault, not us. Okay, We're trying to teach them that kind of tough love. Um, but one of the, I, I find uh, folding clothes therapeutic. Uh, I put in diners, drive-ins, and dives, and I fold clothes, and I'm good to go. Like It's, it's just like therapy for me, right? Um, guy Fieri, I like that guy. And so, uh, but it reminded me of a story. I, I love to do clothes, and I read a story, and it reminded me of this college freshman. And this college freshman, he, he had not had the opportunity to really uh, learn 
the, the life skill of doing laundry. And so he was uh, in his dorm for the first year, and it came time to do laundry. He literally had no clothes left. And he was so embarrassed by the amount of clothes that he had dirty and the extent to which they were made dirty that he opened up a big old sweatshirt, and he bundled all his dirty clothes in the midst of the sweatshirt, and he tied it up real tight so it was in one bundle, and he walked to the laundromat because he didn't want to be embarrassed uh, other people and classmates seeing how much dirty laundry he had. So he goes to the laundromat, he opens up the top of the, of the washing machine and chunks the whole load right in there. Hits the button, washes it, pulls it out, throws it in the dryer, still together, puts it in the dryer, lets it dry. He takes it all the way back to his dorm. He gets it on his bed. He unfolds the bundle only to find that his clothes are still dirty. <laughs> right? The outer garment was clean. The bundle was still filthy. Because it had been kept inside and it had not been addressed on an individual basis. And what we see today is that David had tried what it meant to be to clean, clean the bundle. On the outside, David was a man who appeared to have it all together. In fact, as we read through Scripture, we know that David was a man after what? God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. But even David, in the prestige and the level that he had risen to because of the love that he had for God, even David was prone to sin. Even David was prone to allowing his eyes and his heart to go somewhere that God had never intended for him to go. And he tried to keep it, on, keep it together on the outside, but the inside was still filthy. And so today, as we open up Psalm 51, we're going to see the, the, the victory that we have when we don't hold sin in. That when we handle sin in the way that God has called us to handle sin the trespasses and the offenses that we have against God, when we make bad decisions and we feel that conviction, God tells us to release it to Him. That's His good and His merciful character. And so Psalm 51 starts like this. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Pur purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What we have is, is a man who has messed up mightily who has come to a place of surrender to where he is offering his whole heart unto God. He is crying out to God. 
And what he has done is he has given us a pattern of repentance. You see, here's the reality is that we, as we look into the book of Romans, we need to all recognize that we are all sinners before a holy God. Uh, Romans very clearly says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not a one and done. We will constantly be moving and messing up because we are a broken, a broken people. Right, And so David has given us a beautiful testimony that we can look back upon our father in the faith and we can learn from his experience that when I do mess up, because I will, Father, how can I go before you and ask for forgiveness in a way that is pure and in a way that is unhindered? Where I can be completely transparent with my transgressions and my wrongs, not only against you, God, but against all those that surround me. Father, how can I surrender my heart and myself to you? And recognize and walk in a place of faith knowing that you will forgive me. Because here's the reality is that many of us walk in today. We're going to have a beautiful opportunity today to, to, to share the elements of communion. We're going to have an opportunity to take the broken body and the, and the shed blood of Christ and to remember the good things that he has done. But what we cannot do, people, is that we cannot leave our burdens and our trespasses on the outside of the church like we're hanging them on a hook. Leave them there, come in and hear all of the good things that God has done, and then go back out and take our burdens back into our life. That's not faith. That is saying that God can never fix me. So I'm going to come in here and I'm going to feel myself and then I'm going to go try to fix me. We are so broken that we cannot fix ourselves. There's nothing that we can do in our lives that will ever help us to draw closer to God, to be better to God. God is the one who gives forgiveness. He is the one that restores that which is broken. And so people today, we need to surrender first and foremost. As we are going into his word, we need to put ourselves in this story. We need to say, this isn't the words of David. This should be my heart crying out to a holy God. And so that's my heart today is that I hope we hear, we see this pattern. We consider this pattern. And as we go into this week, that we would ask God that he would lead us in this pattern of forgiveness. And so if you have a pen and paper, uh, the first thing that we see in this pattern is David gives a cry for forgiveness. He cries out to God, have mercy on me, God. According to your steadfast, your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He's calling upon the very character of God because God is a God of great mercy, grace, and love. He is a God who relentlessly pursues those who are his, and David knows that. And he's calling out, God, give me that which I do not deserve, which is your grace and your mercy. God, I need salvation. I deserve death. God, what I have done, if, in fact, he said it himself, David's own words convicted himself. When he found out what was going on in that story, he said, that guy must die. And then when David found out it was himself, the realization was, is that I deserve to die as well. But God is a gracious God. And so David is crying out to God, forgive me, Lord, blot out my sin. Wipe it clean. Get it off of the records. If we were trying to keep a criminal record, David is saying, purge it. Get it away. Clean it so that it will not be held against against me. Wash away my sin. Lord, I'm coming a hot bundle of mess. Open me up, Lord, and clean every single thing that's going on in my life. David also recognized that in ceremonial cleansing, that in order for you to go into worship into the temple, you had to be ceremonially clean. So he understands that, that God would have to relieve him and wash him in order for him to even be able to worship. Do you know that our sins hold us back from worshiping God unhindered? 
I know many of us, including this guy right here, this beautiful, sexy fellow, I have also felt the sin and how it holds me back from fully worshiping my king, the one that deserves all of my attention, the one that deserves all of my praises. When I am caught up in the midst of sin, if my mind and my heart are places they don't need to be, then it hinders me and chains me and restricts me from being able to be all that God has called me to be. And so David is giving a cry of forgiveness. Blot out my sin. Wash me clean, almighty God. Because here's what we need to know. Forgiveness restores joy. Forgiveness restores joy. When God can tell us, son, you are forgiven. I saw that offense. You didn't surprise me there. He's the one that holds all time and space. There's nothing that catches God off guard. But when he extends that forgiveness to us and we sense that relief, then it restores joy and allows us to be able to spread that joy and that happiness to those around us. It allows us to have a little spring in our step where the shackles are taken off and we can be free to dance for our Heavenly Father. So first, there's a cry for forgiveness, but secondly, there's a concession or an admission of sin. David recognizes, he said, I know my transgressions. God, I'm not trying to cover this one over. I'm not trying to to pull a, a magic trick on you where you're looking at this hand and I juke you over here. I'm not doing that, God. I know my sins. I messed up. You see, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever read through the 12-step process of Alcoholics Anonymous, but the very first one is an admittance of their issue. That would be for any of us, not just in addiction, but in life. We, We cannot come before God if we never admit that we have an issue in the beginning. And here's the reality. We all have issues. You're not as good as you think you are. We are all a broken people. We all have issues, and God is simply saying, come to me. Share those things. Not that I didn't know it, but you need to admit within yourself that you can't do this alone. And so David says, I'm admitting my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. He is being tormented and haunted in his mind from the things that he has lent himself to. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever done something to the point where you can't sleep? It's stolen the peace that you have. Maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness, but your, your pride steps in the way, and it's haunting you, it is crippling you, it is nagging at you, and yet you don't want to pursue that forgiveness. David it will not leave his mind what he has done with Bathsheba. Over and over, I believe that he is probably recognizing and he's seeing the face of Uriah. He's, he's wrestling with the, the fact that he not only killed Uriah, but he uh, has... Uh, impregnated a woman who was not his wife, but most importantly, he has dishonored his God. It is haunting him. And then David says, my sin is against you and you alone, O Lord. Now we, uh, on the outside looking in, are going, no, he did sin against Uriah, and he did sin against Bathsheba, and you would be absolutely correct. But here's the foundation of what he is saying. God All that we see and all that we are is yours. You created every single person that is on this earth, and you purposed them in the way that only you can purpose them. Father, when I took Uriah's life and when I lay with Bathsheba, I did something in my will that was not your will. God, I've sinned against you in the way that you had ordained things to be right and righteous and holy. God, you have called me to lead these people well, and I have squandered and sacrificed what you have called me to do. 
So David is saying, I have sinned against you and you alone. And so he is saying that he is weak and he is wicked. You see, many times we like to justify our sins. When we think about sins, they vary in a whole spectrum of different things, right? They can be minuscule, they can be outstanding, but a sin is a sin. In, a, in the eyes of a holy God, when we mess up, even once, it makes us a sinner. Hence, we are all sinners. Now, many of us will often justify, well, I did this because they did that to me. I deserve to do this because I didn't get that. Like, I'm going to pursue and be the Lord of my own life. And we justify the things that are going on for us to our advantage. But here's the reality is what David, he may justify and say, I had a moment of weakness. God says, no, you had a moment of wickedness. And where David said, no, I, it, was, it was an accident. I, I didn't mean to do it. God says, no, it was an atrocity. It was treason against everything that I have called you to do and to be. And so David is admitting the depth of his depravity. He's saying, God, it's nobody's fault but mine. God, I'm admitting that I have really goofed. And then he says, my sin is within me. My sin is within me. And he goes all the way back to the moment of conception to identify the root of his sin. He doesn't try to say, well, I had held it together pretty good, God. I was, after all, uh, the man that was after your own heart. And, and I got out there, and I was bored, and, and my whole army was fighting, and there was nothing good on TV. So I walked out on the porch, and lo and behold, there goes an endeavor that I was willing to invest in. That's not at all what David is saying. He's saying, from the moment that I was conceived is when the root of this sin began. You see, all of us are sinners from conception. We are born into sin. And I know all the moms in this room right now are saying, because of my kids and seeing how they engage, yes, indeed, I believe this to be true. Right? We didn't teach our kids to backtalk us. We didn't keep teach our kids to reject the authority that we're trying to do. It, it's learned behavior, right? It's ingrained in our sinful nature. And so David is essentially saying, he's saying, hey, God, like, here's, here's the reality. I have been sinful from birth. Now, how are we going to address this? God, it's got to be you that comes and addresses my heart because my heart is wretched. From the very first time I was conceived, God, from the beginning, my heart has been full of junk that has not been addressed. And it continues to raise its ugly head. You see, God isn't surprised by David's admission to these things. It, it's not informing God of anything, but what it is doing is it's forcing David to be honest with God. And until you and I, until we're up front with God and we're direct with Him, we aren't going to find ourselves in a position to even receive forgiveness. You see, many of us are clinging on to specific sins that we are scared to admit to God, the God who already knows them. There's nothing hidden before God, right? You, you realize that, right? Like, God holds all time and space in His hands, so He sees the past, present, and the future, right? God knows what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Even the things that we don't act out in our lives, God knows it. He knows what's going on. So why are we trying to hold on to things as if we can hide them to God when he is saying, if you will just release this to me, child, I will relieve you and create in you a clean and a new heart. I will fill you with truth and with mercy and with grace and with love. I will give you hope that you desire. And so David, he had a cry for forgiveness, and now he's admitting his sin. But next, uh, he is calling upon the truth of God. He desires truth in the inner man, in the inner heart part, the heart 
The Hebrew word that is utilized here is amen, A-M-A-N, just like it sounds. Denotes, it denotes the idea of certainty, dependability, firmness, or sureness, but in this context, it most accurately means moral integrity and reliable living. David is saying, God, fill me with moral integrity. When I was weak and I, and I failed, God, I need that restored in me. I need to know what in your economy is right and what is wrong. God, I need to have the boldness to be able to cling to your truth so tightly that I'm willing to die for what you have called me towards, that I am willing to go without that which my body is longing for. Would we all agree that we all have tendencies that are not healthy? We all have things that draw us, that, that we know are not good for our bodies or for our relationships or, or for our engagement in community. We recognize that there are tendencies and drawings that, that pull us towards where we shouldn't be, but we have the ability in Christ to say no. We have the ability to stand upon who God is and to wait for Him to help us and to intervene in our lives. Even if we stand and we have to wait, it is worthy waiting upon the only one who can keep us strong. And so we need to lean upon his truth. He's saying, establish that truth in my heart, God. And here's the other thing. We have to take an honest evaluation of our hearts and be bold enough to surrender our rights and be vulnerable before our living, gracious, and merciful God. Many of us do not like to think about being vulnerable. None of us like being vulnerable. It puts us in an awkward position. But if we will only pause for a moment and, and yield ourselves to God's promptings and His directives in our life, He will shape and mold us, and He will get out like a potter working with clay. He'll get out those hardened places. It might hurt, but it's for our betterment. It's for our good, and it's for His glory. And so we have to have an honest self-evaluation of where we are. Can we honestly today, when we walk out of this place, say, God, I came in broken. I came in struggling. I came in, my mind wasn't in the right place. I was ready to strangle that person who cut me off on the way here. God, like, can you work in me and help me to see rightly, to, to weigh out rightly what's going on in my life and to simply open my heart for your truth to take root? Because here's what we know, is that from the heart, the overflow is into every action and every word that we speak. Scripture says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I can tell you, from the overflow of the heart is the way that I engage with all those around me. If I am angry, the way that I engage with my family is not going to be productive and it's not going to end well. It's going to be toxic because that anger will ultimately go through and will hurt every demeanor that's within my household. You see, the, what is in our heart always, always comes out. And so even though we might look like we have it together on the outside, the reality is, is that on the inside, God has to cleanse us because what's going on the inside will eventually come out. It might not be today. It might not be in this season, but I can guarantee you it will come out and it will manifest itself in a really, really ugly manner. In fact, if we, if we think upon David, just for a, for a rabbit trail, I'd like to chase for a second. Um, if, we, if we think about David, David was a, a king and a warrior. Why was David at his house while the rest of his army was out on the battlefield? David should have been on the battlefield leading his people. But David, at, at some season, I don't know what was going on in David's life, but it seems that there was a, a season where David wasn't investing himself in the way that God had called him. He was, maybe it was, he was lazy. 
But here's the reality. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, it lent himself as vulnerable to be uh, drawn by the enemy. We need to ask God, help us to have a real self-evaluation of where our hearts are so that we can walk out of this place healthy and we can walk out of this place ready to be used by God. And so there was a cry for forgiveness, uh, an admission of sin. Uh, there was the, uh, the calling for truth, a call for cleansing. David was saying, God, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to cleanse me of the guilt that I am wearing. I need you to take this burden up off of me. You see, Jesus is a, is a uh, essentially, is, it could kind of be seen as a beast of burden in Scripture. We can lay all our cares and all our burdens upon his shoulders. He says, come to me, you who are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He is the one that calls us to lay these burdens, to lay this guilt upon him so that he can relieve us, so that we can live for God's glory, so that we can live in liberty, so that we can live with joy in our lives. He says, cheer me with gladness. Cheer me with gladness. Clear me of the charges that I am sure to receive if you do not. Are we at a point in our lives where we recognize that if we were to stand today, if we have never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and we don't pursue who he is, that if we were to go before a holy judge today and we have not asked for him to be our Lord and our forgiver, that we would have to give an account for every single sin is anybody else scared to death about that? But he calls us. I will clear you of these charges. I will intercede on your behalf. I will be the sacrificial lamb that will bear your sin. I want us to come to a place where we will find rejoicing. Even if it means that it has to be expressed alongside the lasting consequences of our sin. There's many people in this room today that are walking through consequences in your life that you cannot change the past. You can't change broken relationships. You can't change the bad, the bad addictions and the consequences of the addictions. You can't change the words that, that had come out of your mouth. But God can change your heart. He can change you today into the future. You can't change the past. But what you can do is surrender yourself and ask God that he would work in your heart so that he can restore that which has been broken. And even if we have to bear the consequences for our poor decisions, even if we have to walk the journey of broken marriages, or we have to walk the journey of, of broken families because of decisions that have been made, can we... Lay them before the altar of God and say, God, my rejoicing is in you, even if I have to bear those consequences. That's what David is doing. He's saying, God, I have done horrible things, and I can't bring Uriah back. I can't change what's been done, Lord, but God, you can change my heart and help me and reestablish me to be able to lead my people from here on out, to lead my family well. So he's pleading, God, clear me of these charges. You see, any complete and continuing reconciliation requires that there be a renewal of inward spirit from which 
human purposes and actions flow. There has to be a renewal within our heart. Because if we, when we sin, if we come to God and we merely say, God, just forgive me of all my sins today. If we're not specific with the things that we are speaking to. If we're not addressing the very hurts that God, that, that the hurts that are going on in our life. If we're not specific in the way that we say those things, then we are essentially saying, God, I really don't desire any change in the action in my life. It's like going to the supermarket and you want to go for steak and you just go to the meat guy and you say, hey, buddy, just give me any kind of meat and he gives you sausage. You had your hopes on steak, but that's not at all what we're doing. Like We need to specifically say, God, today I lost it with my coworker. Like I said things to him that I wouldn't say to my dog. I need you, Father, to forgive me, and I need you to give me the strength to go and seek the reconciliation for what I have done. You need to be specific, because here's what happens. If we're not specific with our sin, it allows the enemy to continue to cover over what's going on in our heart and our lives. And we might think that we are good to go, but the enemy continues to allow those things to fester and to grow within our hearts. That's not what God wants. God already knows it, release it specifically to him so that he can work it out and that he can renew your heart. And so there's a call, a great call for cleansing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are faithful to confess our sins, nobody else may know what's going on in your life, but God surely does. And so he has called us, son, come to me and just simply be honest. Be transparent. Be vulnerable. And I assure you, I will reestablish you with confidence. I will reestablish you with hope. I will reestablish you with renewed purpose and renewed strength. Next, God calls us to holiness, a commitment to holiness. See, David was asking for, and these are the things that we need to ask from God. He was asking for a pure heart. A heart that was, that was running and operating based on his righteousness and on his truth. A steadfast spirit. He wanted to be perseverant in the way that he pursued God and he lived for God. He wanted an empowered life, recognizing that there's nothing in his strength that brings power. But he was asking that the Holy Spirit live through him. That it would renew him and, and be the very one that ordains his steps and everything. And also a submissive will. And here's the catcher. We have to allow God to be the Lord of our heart. If you will imagine for a moment, there can only be one throne in our heart. And if it's not God, then it's not the right thing. See, God created us to glorify Him in all that we do, in all that we engage in in culture and amongst one another. God has created us in this world to bring Him glory. When we put anything else upon the, heart, the, the throne of our heart, when we put us first, when we put relationships first, when we put substances first, when we put money or anything that you can fill in the blank first in our lives, the wrong thing is on our heart. And we will pursue that and we will serve that to our detriment. We must be able to submit our hearts to God and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing in this life, but you are God. You are Lord. I'm surrendering the way that I engage in the consequences of my life, in the relationships, in the, in the conversations, how I engage with things that didn't go the way I wanted them to, God, I'm asking that you would be the Lord. We have to have a submissive will. And David's saying, God, I have put me first too long. Our culture says that we pursue me first. 
That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not what God called us to do. In the very beginning, it was always him that was going to be the foundation and the primary relationship. And it's gotten all messed up. And we are seeing the consequences of that brokenness in the world today. If people would call upon the name of the Lord and surrender their hearts, he would come back and he would lead us in power. And so we all must have a submissive will. So he has a commitment to holiness, but it also has a consecration of life. He says, hey, God, if, if you will forgive me and you will create in me a clean heart and a steadfast spirit, God, with that, I can be a testament to your goodness in my life. I can not only live uh, in, in, a, in a changed way so that you are glorified through me, but I can tell the others of the struggles that I had and the victory that I have found in you. You see, he could be a gospel horn to all his kingdom and to all those who watched him walk this journey. He can be a testament to God's goodness. You see, it's how many of you in here like adventure movies? You, it's okay. You can, you can admit it. Like, I like adventure movies, and so we watched one not too long ago called San Andreas. And in San Andreas, um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, uh, was a helicopter pilot, but in, in San Andreas, there was a scenario where there started to be these massive earthquakes, and there was a, a dam, uh, and it was holding back this massive amount of water, uh, and the earthquakes started to shake, and the dam broke, and then all the water went down and kind of flooded the city. You see, when, when we don't surrender ourselves to God, and when we don't allow God to be first and foremost, it's like us putting a dam up in our lives. All the blessing and all the passion and all the talent and all the directives that God has created in you and in me, we hold captive. We're like a dam that holds back a, a, a wellspring of, of blessing that could go on all those around us. Right? We need God to be that earthquake in our life. We need God to shake the very foundations of who we are. So that the reason that he created you and the reason that he gave you your time, talents, and treasures could be invested in all those around us. But when we sin, often those are the next brick to the dam. Our sins will build up to the point where, where God can't release those blessings. Because we, we shackle ourselves and we build ourselves into where God cannot release those things. But if we surrender to God, we say, God, hey, I did goof up the wall comes down and the blessings can go out because people can learn from your testimony. People can learn from your experience. People can learn from your mess-ups. They can learn from the way that you have responded. You can teach others. Confession of sin can be a foundation of teaching. It can be used as a huge blessing. God says, I will praise God and I will humble myself. God, you will always be the first in my life. You will always be the priority. And so we have a cry for forgiveness, uh, admission of sin. We have a call of cleansing, a commitment to holiness, a consecration of life. And lastly, we have a concern for God's glory. A concern for God's glory. Pastor Bill, who touches God's glory? Nobody touches God's glory. There is one God. There is one King, and He is worthy of all praise and all honor. If there is anything that we have within us that is worthy to be praised, it is because He has given it. And so... Uh, as David ends this prayer, he says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, people would, would, bring, would bring offerings to the altar, and it got so routine that they just wouldn't even put thought into it anymore. They would sacrifice lambs and doves and all these things to cover over their sin, but it was half-hearted. 
God says, you can bring all the sacrifices you want. I don't even require those things. What I require is a broken and a contrite heart. I want a heart who fully pursues me, a heart who trusts me so much that you were willing to allow me to get into the mess of your life and to fix it and to lead you and to cleanse you. And so David is saying, God, let your glory, as you start to use me in the testimony of what you were doing in me, will you let your blessing continue to go out in Zion and amongst the nations? Lord, continue to advance what you were doing in and around me. There's a concern for God's glory. He wants God's work to continue to prosper. If I was to go around the room today, I would imagine that most of us, if I was to say, hey, do you want God's work to prosper in you? I would imagine all of us would say yes. There may be some hesitations because we don't see ourselves as worthy. There may be some hesitations because we just don't think that we have what it takes. But the reality is this, is that God desires His work to prosper in and through you. You are valuable. And that His uh, work will not stop. And we also want God's pleasure to be full. We want the sacrifices that we bring. If we bring to Him a broken and contrite heart, then we want it to be a beautiful offering to the only God that deserves it. And so in just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to do two things today. We're going to have an opportunity to reflect, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond. When we come together and we, we take the elements of communion, which is what we're doing today, we are doing it in response uh, to the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on our behalf. You see, as he, is, as he was approaching the, the, the passion, and he was coming close to the days of which he would bear the weight of our sin upon the cross, he called his disciples into the upper room. And he called his disciples... Uh, to, to share a meal and as he was breaking bread he said guys uh, there's something I want you to do in remembrance of me the things that I have taught you the life that I have lived in front of you there's coming a day and it's, it's soon upon us when I will no longer be with you but as I am not with you in the body I will be with you in the spirit and so as I uh, share this bread and as I uh, have this wine with you I want you to remember the great sacrifice that I have made for you God's sacrifice is such that it is for every human being on the face of this planet. Over 7 billion people, and God sacrificed His Son for us all. And Jesus said, when, I come, when you come together, I want you to remember this great sacrifice. Now the reality is this, is that this sacrifice uh, that Jesus made is for everyone, but not everyone has received this sacrifice. You see, baptized believers in Jesus Christ share the broken bread and the wine together, Welch's grape juice together, because we're doing it as an act of, of obedience to our God, but as an act of remembrance. And so today I'm asking that you reflect on where your heart is in light of all that we have just talked about, about sin and forgiveness and repentance. I want you to take an accurate inventory and take a moment to pause. Don't automatically respond and go, uh, go up. I want you to spend some time, time in prayer and reflection really thinking about what is it in, that's going on in my life and, and what is it that God's speaking to my heart today? Are there things that I need to address or surrender to God? Is there things that I need to address or surrender to the person beside me? Are there hurts that I need to maybe make a phone call and address? Because I don't want to take this communion in an unworthy manner. You see, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says this. He says in chapter 11, verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord 
in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. That is a weight that none of us were created to bear. It is a weight that none of us are able to bear, quite frankly. And so if you, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior or Lord, um, we're going to ask that you take this opportunity to reflect and to respond in prayer. Um, there's a number of tables across the room. Uh, this isn't, this, we're not keeping note of who's going forward and who's not going forward. Um, today might be a day for, for, for many of us as believers where we say, you know, I need to pray. I feel unworthy to take this. That's between you and God. I'm asking you to reflect and to respond. And as you as individuals and as you as a family, as you consider what God is doing in your life and that you have come to a place where you feel like you can take uh, the, the communion together and you can come to a place where you're surrendering and you're rejoicing in God, then I, by all means, find the tables. Go to the tables. Rejoice in that. Pray in that. If there's things that you need to come up and discuss and surrender, things that you need to lay at the altar, things that you just need to confess to a, to a safe person, by all means, come up and do that. If today is a day where you want to join this church body, then we welcome you to come up in that so we can rejoice in that. But here's the deal. God is good. And we want to rejoice in who God is. We want to rejoice that he would even allow his son to give his life on behalf of us. And so today, that's what we're asking. You'll notice on the table there's a number of things. There's, there's, there's cups that are stacked. There's uh, juice, and there is a wafer in there uh, packaged together for your efficiency. Uh, uh, and as well as there is a, a basket over there for those of you uh, who brought tithes or offerings today. That's an opportunity for you to worship and to drop those things in there as well. Uh, but let us open with a word of prayer. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the, uh, the band to come up and have a, a little bit of, of, of gentle music. And like I said, take some time to pause for a second. Call a time out in your head. And pause and think about what it is that has been done and how we are going to respond out of it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good father. Lord, we thank you that hundreds of years removed from the experience of David, God, that we can still learn today what it means to rightly handle a relationship with you. To rightly handle and surrender our sin. To identify the areas in our lives where we have trespassed and gone places that you never intended for us to go. God, these are hard truths. Or as we wrestle with these things within ourselves, sometimes it's a tug of war between our flesh and our spirit. And so today, Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that it would break those chains. God, that the flesh would be subservient to the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would lead us into a place of freedom and surrender. And God, that you would rebuild, reestablish that which has been given to us in the beginning. God, that you would recreate within us a clean heart and a steadfast spirit to pursue you. Lord, just like King David, we call upon your, your mercy and your steadfast love to wash over us. God, we know those things are, are, are part of your character. You're, you're willing and, and ready to give these things if only we will release them to you. And so, Father, we pray for open hands and open hearts today. Father, I pray for every individual and every family in this room. 
Lord, I know that they are in various places in life. They are in the midst of struggles and they are in the midst of victories. Lord, we thank you that you are in both. So Lord, I know also that there are many who have put their faith and their hope and their trust in you. And there are many who are still seeking. They don't know you. They don't understand the terminology or the words that we are expressing. Lord, I pray that they would just have this opportunity to ask you, God, who are you? God, what is he talking about? How do I respond in this moment? God, we're not taking inventory of who's moving where and who's doing what. This is an opportunity for us to be honest with you. And so, Father, we just pray a transparent, a transparent spirit in this place. Lord, that we would be real with ourselves. And God, that we would seek forgiveness with a humble heart. God, that you would relieve us of any pride that would keep us back from running to you as children run to a parent. Lord, we thank you that you see way deep down. There's nothing that is hidden from you. And so, Father, it takes away the awkwardness of us trying to admit that. Father, you just tell us to come. And so, Lord, we pray that you would search us and know us. And, Lord, that this would be a sweet time of victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for uh, these elements. Lord, we thank you, Jesus Christ, for the body that has been broken. We thank you that you are willing to lay your life down on our behalf and the blood that was shed. Lord, because of your death, we have life. And because of your resurrection, we have eternal life. Hallelujah to your holy name. Lord, be with us in this time. Let your spirit move in this place.